I've heard Brother Don many different times talk about how that he loved Brother Paul Bryson. But then I've heard the way he talked about Brother Paul Bryson. So I felt like, well, maybe I should give him a list of things to say. But in all seriousness, I appreciate this man very, very much for his long term in serving the Lord and continuation. We see a lot of, a lot of brethren that seem to fall away, turn back. And they asked the question one time in the Bible, where else can we go? I want to commend young parents that are here with children. Don't turn back to the world. If, if the children of Israel, whenever they'd come out of bondage, they got weary on their journey, and some of them was tempted to turn back to Egypt. They said, we remember the melons, and we remember the fish that they ate, but what apparently they forgot about was the bondage. And if they had turned back, they'd have took their children into bondage. So I strongly urge you young adults with children, don't, don't turn back. There's nothing to turn back to. There's a cause. And uh, you just look in the face of your children and you'll see what the cause is. David asked one time a question. He said, is there not a cause to continue in the battle? It's a struggle. We're not of this world, we're just in it. And I find many times it being a struggle. We, we face spiritual battles. And uh, you young parents, you, you'll face that daily. But hold on. I commend you to please uh, hold, hold on. Uh, Paul said we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual weakness and high places. It's a spiritual battle. But I'm thankful that I've got a spiritual leader. I'm thankful that I've got a great counselor that can guide me through this world. When we were singing the song, I cannot make it alone. One of the greatest benefits for me was when, when I come to the, to the realization that in this life, I am merely a pilgrim that's just passing through. And I honestly don't know how I can make it without the Lord. So uh, I'm glad that, that uh, there, there is a, one of the greatest benefits of being saved, and it's neglected, and that is prayer. I appreciate the Sunday school this morning. appreciate the thought there at the end that we're to pray without ceasing. Uh, prayer changes things, people. It changes things. Um, in this life that we live in, we can only see the hand in front of our face sometimes, but God sees the big picture. We don't know what holds for tomorrow, but He does. And I'm glad that I've got access to the mind of Christ. Sometimes I think we don't realize that, but you, if you've truly been saved and you have an altar erected in your heart, do you really realize that you have got access to the mind of Christ and to His will for your life? you got access to that for the will that he has for your life. And he wills for all of us good. So we need to, we need to exercise the benefit of having, having prayer. Um, this is not what I went to bed with last night thinking I was going to be preaching this morning. But it's 
seems like a lot of times that, that happens to me. I, I got up this morning, it, it just seemed blank, and I feel like the Lord's sort of directing in a different path. So um, we'll try to go ahead and get into this. And, um, of course, uh, certainly let, we don't want to forget about Brother Casey and Monty and Alex and all those that are over there in Belize. And, and we, we did get a post this morning from Alex uh, that they have had two saved over there. So we got that this morning. So that's awesome. Uh, uh, Brother Kyle Reed, one of our preachers there from Hilltop, he's helping a new design over at Fountain Run. And uh, he, he texted this morning. They had two got saved there, that little church last night, and five more seeking. So uh, just keep on praying. It, folks, it really don't matter where they get saved, just as long as they get saved. It does, it does a church a lot of good, and churches sometimes need to see people coming up off the altar being saved. It, it encourages us. But when it all comes down to it, the main thing is we just pray uh, for everyone to be saved. If you have your Bibles and would like to follow along with us, we want to go over to the first, uh, first Kings and the third chapter. First Kings and third chapter. And uh, while you're turning to that, I want to read you one verse, and if the Lord will help me, I pray we'll end up with this. This one verse that I'm going to read is a verse that uh, I don't know, I'm sure some of you preachers and Bible readers understand what I'm saying, but sometimes you, when you're reading and studying things, there's a verse just just hinges to you, and you, it's just like it just jumps out at you, and you, you can't get away from it. This one verse, I was studying here a few years ago about a lot of the different feasts and things and how that they would, would have special services for worship, for the feast and all. And I read this one verse, and it just jumped out at me because I couldn't comp- I didn't understand it. I didn't know. I just, I thought, well, God, are you trying to orchestrate something here? But I, I couldn't understand what this verse meant. And, and uh, that is what's brought me to, to this subject. But uh, So I want to just read it, and like I said, if the Lord will help me, we may end up with that. But the, the verse that uh, stood out to me the time, 46th chapter of Ezekiel, just one verse right quick, and the, and the ninth verse. It says that when the people of the land shall come before the Lord in the solemn feast, he that entereth in by the way of the north gate to worship shall go out by the way of the south gate. And he that entereth in by the way of the south gate shall go forth by the way of the north gate. He shall not return by the way of the gate wherein that he came in. That verse, I didn't understand it. Uh, and that verse just, I, honestly, different times uh, for, for weeks and months, that verse would come back to me and I would go down in my study and try, try to dig it out. And uh, in due time, I feel like the Lord has finally showed me the meaning. Of it. But So, like I said, if the good Lord would help us, we want to get back to that that verse, but first we want to turn back over here into First Kings in the third chapter, and uh, this was a time uh, that uh, Solomon was chosen by God uh, to uh, become the king or the under shepherd over God's chosen people, over His heritage, and in Solomon's humility, uh, he felt like that this was above him. It was something that he couldn't do. And uh, uh, we want to read, read his, his prayer that we know we refer to this as the prayer for wisdom and knowledge, but 
Uh, in that third chapter, 1 Kings, we'll start in verse 5. And Gideon the Lord appeared in Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he has walked before thee in truth and in righteousness, and the uprighteousness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son, speaking of himself, Solomon, to sit on his throne as it is of this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a child, I know not how to go out or come in. And the servant, and thy servant, is in the midst of thy people which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. So here's his request. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great of a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked. This thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself a long life, neither hast thou asked for riches for thyself, nor asked for the life of thy enemy, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And listen to what he goes on and says, And I have also given thee that which thou askest, uh, hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there uh, shall not be any among the kings like unto thee in all of thy days. And if thou wilt walk in my status, in my ways to keep my status and my covenant commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. And that's reading down through the uh, 14th uh, verse. And uh, there's a, a, a verse as we get into this over in Deuteronomy and, uh, and 28 and 6. And, uh, it, and it said over there that, uh, uh, that he would uh, bless those that, that uh, he said, Blessed shall thou be when thou comest in, and then blessed shall thou be when thou goest out. I want to look at what uh, Solomon here in his prayer, uh, he was asking God. He didn't ask God for riches. He didn't ask selfish things such as, uh, 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 you know, vengeance upon his enemy and things of that nature. But what he wanted, he realized that God had placed him over God's heritage, and he wanted to be able to do that in a manner that God would be pleased with. He recognized it was something that was above him, something that he could not do. And he even went as far as to tell God, he said, he said in, in my own terminology, he said, I'm not dad. You see, David was a man that was after God's own heart, was he not? And we know that God had used David in very miraculous battles. Battles with the Philistines that, uh, 
that logically he should have never been able to conquer. But those battles were always won by David and the Israelites miraculously because David was a man after God's own heart. David later on was called as a man of war and, uh, and not, but, but, and I want to get, get this across. He was a man of war. God had gave him great military strategy. But before he was a man of war, he was first the man after God's own heart. Now, we all have battles in life that we face. And if you're like me, a lot of times you're like those disciples out there on the ship. Jesus is right there at, at your disposal, is he not? He's just a prayer away. Those disciples out on the ship, they began to sink. They thought they was going to die. They even said, finally, at the very end, at the very last, they went to Jesus, didn't they? And they said, carest thou not that we perish? He asked them about their faith. Do, do you not many times try to tackle your battles in life on your own? Have you never found yourself digging yourself in just deeper and deeper until you get to the point that you realize, I cannot do this? And that's all God was waiting for to begin with. Why do we not, at His why do we not call upon the Lord to begin with rather than waiting until we get in so much trouble? I'm talking about maybe, maybe it's just issues in, in family. Maybe it's issues that young parents is trying to raise up godly children in this world and they're, they're exposed to everything. And the way that the government is getting, our, our, our nation is getting, and, and, and church would just need to admit it, there's a lack of, of, of complete uh, uh, contrition among God's people anymore. But in our battles, sometimes we see them that, that they're just, just too big for us. But a lot of times we try to tackle them alone. And what we end up doing, we just dig ourselves in deeper and deeper and, and more trouble and more trouble that we don't have to put ourselves through. I heard Brother Jeff tell one time how that uh, uh, he used to run a backhoe. And, and, and uh, he was going to, he he, there was a little bitty pond and it was still somewhat wet. And he was going to fill that pond in with his backhoe. He took a lot of pride in being a backhoe operator. He was very good at it. But he pulled his backhoe right over in the middle of that little pond, and he started taking his backhoe, and he started pulling the dirt in, pulling the dirt in. He'd reach over here, and he kept pulling the dirt in, and he ended up finding himself getting to a point that he was stuck. And if you know anything about a backhoe, usually you can push and pull and dig your way out. But Jeff said he tried everything. He, he, he could not, out of pride, he could not call somebody to come and help. But he was determined that he was going to get out of that. He got himself in it. He was going to get himself out of it. And the more he dug, the more he sunk. And finally, after just about a full day trying to get out of that pond, he had to make a phone call, and he had to call on somebody to come and help him. Um, we don't have to get ourselves in such a position before we call upon the one that can help. Uh, he is just a call away. So it's very important in our storms of life and the things that we go through that, uh, uh, that we realize that, that God can do. Paul says we can do all things through Christ, which strengthens us. But without him, we can do nothing. Now, one of the things that... that that Solomon here, when he says, he says, I'm, I'm not dead, 
uh, I've seen, and you can just imagine how that Solomon being raised in a godly home, and how many times that Solomon and his mom, Bathsheba, probably sat there in the house, if you would, or wherever they abode, and they would watch whenever it become the, the times of, of the battles for the kings, when the king had to go out into battle. And, and Solomon, how many times do you think that Solomon may have watched his dad, David, go out of the house and shut the door, and Solomon wondering, will dad ever, will, will he return? Will he get killed in the battle? And how many times Solomon would look and, and dad would return. God always took care of him and always brought him back home. So he knows that David, his dad, was a man that loved the Lord. And so when Solomon had this placed upon him and he felt like it was something that he couldn't, he said, he said God, I'm not dad. I'm, I'm not David. I, I, you know, he said, I'm more like a little child. He said, uh, I don't even know how to go out or to come in. Now, when he said that, there was more of a meaning to that than just, I don't know how to get in out of the rain. To begin with, Solomon at this time was not a little child. But he recognized himself as being as a little child that had to have help. And that's why each one of us needs to recognize ourselves that we, are, we need to have a childlike faith, a totally dependency upon God. Instead of thinking we can do this. He recognized that he was just as a child. If you was to, and I think it's a, a First Kings in the 11th chapter and the 14th chapter. I'll just, I, I, uh, without looking it up, what it, what it was. Whenever Solomon had finished his reign, he reigned for 40 years. And when he ended his reign, his son Rehoboam uh, took his stead. Well, if you go over into the 14th chapter of 1 Kings, you'll see that Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign. So just a little bit of math tells us that if Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign and Solomon had reigned for 40 years, then that tells us that Rehoboam was one year old when Solomon was to, to take the throne. So in other words, Solomon had a little boy when he was praying this prayer about being as a child. He was, he was grown enough to have a little boy by the name of Rehoboam, one year old. But in spite of, of his age and maybe his, his ability, he recognized that he was just as a child that he had to have God. And sometimes you may get to the point that, you know, everything's just going so good you don't think you need the Lord and you better watch out. When you get to that point, the scripture says, He that thinketh he stand, let him take heed, lest he should fall. We need God to raise our children. We need God in every aspect of life that we have. Now, uh, I, want to, I want us to look, I want to point out one more thing concerning this coming in and going out. Uh, you can turn there, I'll just read it, but in the 27th chapter of the book of Numbers, uh, this is where it was that uh, 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 God had told Moses that uh, you finished your course and because of what you've done concerning smiting the rock, he said, you're going you're gonna to be able to look over, but you're not going to be able to, to, to take the children on the cross. And let me just go ahead and read it. Uh, Numbers 27, start at verse 12. And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee up unto this mountain, uh, uh, Abiram, and see the land 
which I have given unto the children of Israel. And when thou hast seen it, uh, thou shalt be gathered up unto thy people, as Aaron thy brother was gathered. For ye rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin, and in the strife of the congregation, to sanctify me before the water before their eyes, that is the water of Mirabal, uh, in Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin. And now, so, so here, God has told Moses that up until this point, you have, you've brought the children up out of the Egyptian bondage, you, you've dealt with them for 40 years, and now then, because of what you did, uh, he said, uh, this, this is as far as you're going. Now, if that had been me, I guess my prayer real quick would have been very selfish. I would have had to thought, God, do you not remember that it was me that you chose to go before the Pharaoh? I was willing to finally willing to do that. Do you not remember it was me that I put up with the murmuring of these people that, that I love for 40 years? And, and now you're not going to allow me to finish this? You see, that would have probably been my selfish prayer. But Moses was a man that knew something. And it's something that we too can learn. Moses knew this was not about him. It was not about him. And today, even our lives, people, is not about us. It's all about him. This one. He says, all things work together, both bad and good, for those that love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. So Moses knew that this was not about him so what Moses asked God to do, he said, Lord, he said, then, then if my course is finished, he said, then, then would you send them a man that would, that would come in and that would go out among them that they would not be as a sheep without a shepherd. So God, not Moses, but God chose a man by the name of Joshua. And he told Moses, he said, you go to the house of Nun, and he said, uh, you bring forth Joshua. And, and he said, you put a, 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 an honor upon him before the people. And he said, and at Joshua's word, the people shall come in, and at Joshua's word, the people shall go out. So we know that Joshua is the one that led the, the children on across uh, the river Jordan. And, and led them into a total victorious stage of life. Did they not? That was when they were so victorious. Whenever they went over and took over Jericho and every place they come. Why were they victorious? Because Joshua was a man also that knew before you go out, you first come in to the presence of God. And that is going to be the whole point. And I think that's what... That's really what Solomon was referring to when he said he, he said he didn't he wasn't just it wasn't just a, a, a prayer of humility saying I can't get in out of the rain, but he was saying I don't even know how to go out or to come in. See, he got that backwards because if we first have to come in to the presence of God, then we can go out. Um, this morning, I would dare to say most all of us. You went into your closet this morning, didn't you? And what did you put on? You put on clothes that were suitable for today. Sunday, go to church clothes. Tomorrow, more than likely, when you go into your closet, 
If you work, you're probably going to put on your work clothes because of what tomorrow holds, you say. If it's in the winter, you're probably going to put a coat on. If it's in the summer, you're going to put short sleeves on. See, Jesus tells us to enter into our closet. Before we go out every day of our lives, people, get this, if, if, if everything else is a mess, you young adults especially, get this down. Every day of your life, when you bring your head up off that pillar, you ask God to equip you, to dress you, to suit you up for what today is going to hold. Because you have no clue what today is going to hold. You don't have no idea. And, and he tells us that, you remember the time whenever uh, uh, David was, was put up, had the armor, Saul, with good intentions, put this big old armor on him, and David had just shed it off. He, he said, this hadn't been proved. But David put on the armor of God. And every one of us needs to start our day with the armor of God because you don't have a clue what today is going to hold. So the very best thing you can do Start your, start your day off in your closet. And I'm not talking about your little closet, which that's a pretty good place. But go into your sanctuary. Go into prayer with the Lord and ask God to dress you and to equip you for what this day. God has never sent out anyone into the battle but what He did not pre-equip them. He, he always pre-equips us. We may not recognize it. You know, you may be fixing a... a face something uh, uh, this evening that's going to be very, very difficult. He may have to put you on an extra extra layer of faith for what you're going to encounter today. But what, what the, the comfort is, is whenever you face that battle during the day, you've got that scotch. You can go back and know, I prayed over this, and I know that all things work together. No matter how bad this looks to me, I know that all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord, who's called according to His purpose. So no matter what, what the, uh, just floods you and happens to you in this spiritual battle, if you prayed about it that morning, believe and know in your heart that God truly has got this. He's got it. And put confidence in that. And then let God just magnify Himself and show you what He can do. Prayer, people. I mean, it really, really does work. It may not happen the way you're expecting. But most all the time, when you encounter those things, you've prayed about it, and when, and when you can, a lot of times you can move on and look back and you'll see where God intervened and took care of those things. But yet we get up and we start our day off in a rush. We forget all about God. My wife said something one time. She said, you know, she said, we treat God. It's sad that it's true, but she said, we treat God just like an old spare tar. You know what? When's the last time you thought about your spare tar? <laughs> probably probably thought about your spare tar in six months, have you? You know what? You pull out down here, and all at once you got a flat. What's the first thing you'll think of? God, I hope my spare tar's up. Is that not a lot of times how we treat God? We, we, we don't even recognize it. He, he is not only the God of the valley. But brethren and sisters, young parents, He is also the God of the mountain. We, we need to call on Him and we need... He, he wants us to... It's His pleasure. It's His 
His divine pleasure to assist us in our lives. It is. To help us as, as pilgrims passing through. But uh, like I said, a lot of times, a lot of times we, we try to fix things ourselves. But just remember, uh, we first have to come in to the presence of God. And then we can, then can we uh, go, go out. I want to, I want to, I want to show you an example of something here. Um, David, like we said, uh, first of all, he was what? A man after God's heart. Secondary, God made him a man of war, a great military strategy. Let me show you one of his military strategies here that Solomon had recognized is why Solomon prayed the prayer he prayed, prayed. But over in 1 Chronicles in the 14th chapter, 1 Chronicles 14, and if you ain't got your Bible, try to stick this one in your head. It may do you some good. 1 Chronicles in 14 and verse 15, this is when the, another time that the Philistines had come up on David again in the army. And I want, you, I, want to, I want you to pay special attention. And in this, I want you to think of some of the battles of life that you face. And I um, hope and pray that this would be something that would be a benefit uh, to help us understand what we need to do. But verse, verse 9 of the 14th chapter, And the Philistines came and spread themselves in the valley of, of uh, Rephraim. And David, and I want you to notice what it is. Now, David notices that the Philistines have came. They spread themselves all throughout the valley of Rephraim. What would be the first thing we would want to do? Grab our sword. Get ready, right? Well, let me show you what David, a man of great wisdom, did. When he saw, when he saw the Philistines coming, it says, And David inquired of God. In other words, he went to the Lord in prayer, the very first thing. And saying, God, shall I go up against the Philistines? And will thou deliver them into my hands? And he waited for an answer. And the Lord said unto him, Go. Go up, for I will deliver them into thy hands. When God gives you that, that is an assurance. And you can go in full confidence. So they came uh, up to Baal-perazim, and David smote them there. Then David said, God has broken uh, in upon thy enemies with my hand like uh, the breaking forth of waters. Therefore, they called the name of the place Baal-perazim. And when they had left all of their gods, talking about the Philistines, David gave a commandment that they were all burnt with fire. Now then, and I don't know if this was immediately after, the Bible does not specifically say, but, but sometime shortly afterwards, look what happens now. It says, uh, and the Philistines yet again spread themselves abroad in the valley. God has already, uh, has already instructed David how to handle the first battle. Remember, he he, first thing he done, he inquired of the Lord. He said, will you deliver them into my hands? And God assured him, I will deliver. You will have victory over this battle. So, sure enough, God delivered them into David's hand. Uh, he, smoked, he smoked them and a lot of them fled. But then they turned right around and they regathered again. So, would you not think, okay, I've done prayed over this. God's already told me to go. But you see... 
This is a second battle. This is not the same battle. A lot of times we think because we try something one time and it works, then it'll work in the next battle. You know, sometimes a preacher may, may go into revival and preach a sermon that just sets, sets the congregation on fire. And then maybe he starts another revival and he's going to think, I'm going to use that sermon. That, that, that lit them fellers up. That guy. Just because it worked in one battle doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work in the next battle. Sometimes, sometimes the church might think, well, uh, I'm going to call this brother because, boy, I really like him. He's real knowledgeable. He's been at it for years. And you know what? God may have some little young preacher that's just a little young firecracker that will come in and set the church on fire. So just because a lot of times we have a big revival, and we had one of the biggest revivals spiritually that we've ever had at Hilltop, most of the at Hilltop all agreed, last spring David Swindle come and helped us, and it was one of the greatest spiritual revivals that but. But you see, and, and the Lord used Brother David in that. But yet, our next revival, the Lord didn't move on our hearts to get Brother David. So sometimes just because you, God gives you a strategy of how to fix something, don't rely on that strategy for the, for the, for the next battle because it may be an entire uh, different, different battle. So it says that, And the Philistines yet again spread themselves abroad in the valley. Therefore David again required of God. And God said unto him, go not up. First time God told him to go up. Second time he says, go not up after them, but turn away from them and come up on them over against the mulberry trees. And then it shall be when thou shalt hear the sound of going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt go to end of the battle, for God has gone before thee. So the... Second battle, after that, that the enemy had, had encamped around them, the second battle, he, he gave them a complete different uh, military strategy. And he told them, he said, this time you go in around them. And he said, you go over here to the mulberry thicket. And he basically told them, he said, you wait there until you hear the, the rushing or the sounds in the mulberry trees. And I think it was referring to like a wind, a great mighty rushing wind. He said, when, when this happens and you're sitting in that mulberry thicket, he said, then know that I have gone before you. And you know what? One of the hardest things for Baptists to do is a lot of times is to wait on the Lord. Sometimes we need to find ourselves under the mulberry thicket waiting on the Lord. I t- sometimes people get too impatient with sinners on the altar where sometimes we just need to, to tarry there among the mulberry thicket and wait, wait on, the, on the good Lord. Blessed is the man that waiteth upon the Lord. That's what Proverbs said. So there's a time and a place for it all. But uh, um, when, when um, uh, I think it was Hezekiah one time was, was in Jerusalem and he, he was the, the king there over Judea. And the king, the Israel king had completely encamped all the way around Jerusalem. And logically, Hezekiah had no hope. The Israel king had done took all the neighboring countries. And, and yet, the Israel king did not want to come in and destroy Jerusalem. He just wanted to conquer it and take it. He didn't want to go in and destroy the temple and all those things. He wanted them just to, to surrender. 
But Hezekiah refused to surrender. And Hezekiah even made a statement. He said, for we have both uh, counsel and strength for war. The Australian king just made mockery. It's like, how can, you're surrounded. How can you say that you have counsel? How can you say you have strength for war and I've got you surrounded? He even sent them another, uh, another threat, uh, threatening them or, or a proposal for them to, to, to not listen to Hezekiah, not let Hezekiah convince them to trust in the Lord. And when doing so, Hezekiah, the Bible said, he took that threat. And it says that he, he took it and he, lay, he spread it out before, he, he fell his face down to the earth and he spread it out before the Lord. And the Bible says that uh, God did not allow the very first arrow to be shot into Jerusalem. Yet they were surrounded. But you see, we do have a great counselor. If you have truly been saved, like I said a while ago, you have access to the throne of God. He has a strategy to get you out of any kind of a mess that you've got yourself into. I'm my own worst enemy. It ain't what others do to me, it's what I do to myself, trying to fix everything. I'm always bad about getting something and opening it all up, and I think, I can put this together. I, I just literally discard the directions, and I go putting this whole thing together, and I get about two-thirds of the way done after half a day, and I have to tear it all back down because I've left off point A or point B, so none of it, the rest of it's going to work, and all I had to do was go by the directions to begin with. Do we not all do that in one form of speaking? You see, we have a director. We have a commander-in-chief. When, when, when there is battles that's going on with a nation, uh, the, the, the soldiers, they only can see what they're told to do. But their commander-in-chief sees the whole battle, doesn't he? And we have a great commander-in-chief. And certainly we need, we need to use him. But... Uh, uh, Whenever, you remember the time whenever that uh, God gave the commission to the church? You remember what he done before he told them to, you know, first he gave them the limited commission to go to the lost sheep of Israel. And then he gave them the commission to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. But you know what he done before he told them to go? Did he not first tell them to come? Did he not first tell them to first come and to tarry here at Jerusalem, until you be endued with the power from on high. So before the commission to go into all the world, and we're still part of that church, that commission still works the same. Before we go out into this world, we are first to come into the presence of God that we would be endued with a power from on high. And I'm telling you, there is power in prayer. We have that cancer, but we neglect to use it. So just as the very early church, it still works today. Before we go out, we need to first come in. And that is come in to the presence of God. Now, I want to get over to that verse and we'll close at this. Uh, I know it's been a little scattered. Like I said, I didn't even plan on preaching this till this morning. But back over into Ezekiel 46, I want to read that one, that one to you again. 46 and 9. When the people 
of the land shall come before the Lord in the solemn feast. He that entereth in by the way of the north gate to worship shall go out by the way of the south gate. And he that entereth in uh, by the way of the south gate shall go forth by the way of the north. He shall not return by the way wherein that he came. That was the verse that haunted me. That was the verse that I tried. I, I, I thought, well, Lord, you're telling them that when they come in to the temple, that those that come in the north gate, they always had to leave the south gate. And those that would come in the south gate, they always had to leave, leave the north. So I, I was trying to think, you're trying to orchestrate something. But you see, what, you know what it, what it really all boils down to? They were coming in for what? Worship. Not just merely coming to church. Coming to church is one thing, but true worship. Worship comes from the heart. They were coming in for the purpose of true worship. So he said that, any, that when they come in from the north, they always had to leave the south. When they come in from the south gate, they always had to leave the north. Listen, if you, if you come into a worship service, you've been to church, if you come into a worship service, and if you leave the very same way that you came in, I'm not being mean, but I'm sorry we missed the mark. True worship changes things. You look at, you look at Moses when he come out off that hill of Mount Sinai. He had worshipped. He had been in the presence of a holy God. And it was to such an extreme that the people couldn't even look upon him. You tell me that coming in the presence of a holy God won't change you. When we come in to worship, worship is not just coming to church. Worship is from the heart, referencing Him. And when we do that, if you come in humble, you can leave exalted. And if you leave, if you come in exhausted, you lift it up within yourself, and if you truly find worship, you know what it'll do? It'll bring you down and you'll walk out humble. Do you remember the story of the little preacher? And, and I've always heard this, and I've never had anybody to tell me who it was. Always been, been told it to be the truth. Apparently, and it probably was, but if it wasn't, it still fits. But they said there was a little young preacher that was very, very knowledgeable and said that he had came to a church to, to preach and said the old pastor got up and done the preliminary for him and said they turned it over to the service. They said that young preacher jumped up there and all shoulders all reared back and just, just proud of himself, just fixing to let him have it. And they said he got up and they said that he, the Lord just pulled the rug out from under him said he couldn't even hardly get nothing together at all. And it said that in, at the end of the service, that young preacher that come in with his shoulders back said he walked down the aisle with his shoulders down and his head down and walked out the door. And they said the old, the old preacher followed him outside and told him, and like I said, I was told this to be the truth, but if it ain't, it still fits. said the old preacher followed him outside and told him, he said, he said, young man, he said, if you would have went into the pulpit, the way that you came out. He said, you could have came out the way you went in. If we approach God humbly, He will exalt us. A lot of times when man exalts you, it's not always good. But there is nothing better than when the true Spirit of God exalts you. And that ain't going to happen unless we approach Him in a matter of humility. That's how Solomon got that prayer through. He realized I'm nothing but a child and God exalted him. 
No matter what you're facing in storms of life, you, you, you find yourself jealous and envious of the world sometimes. And a lot of people don't like to hear that, but that's the truth. Asaph in the 78th Division of Psalms. You know what he done? It says that he was envious over the prosperity of the wicked. I want, I want you young parents to, to get this in today's terms. Asaph looked over at his neighbor and he saw on a Sunday morning while you're struggling and fighting and wrestling with your kids to get them ready, you're running late for Sunday school, you're doing everything in the world right, trying to, trying to convince them that church is good and God is good and we have to put God first and, and your children is outraged and they're fussing and they don't want to go to church and they look out over here at their neighbor and here their neighbor is out there that Sunday morning and he's loading his children up there out there playing and, and cackling and having a big time. He's loading them up in a $70,000 truck and he's got a $50,000 boat hooked in behind it and they're headed to the lake and his children is jumping for joy. And you're looking at this and your children is looking at that and you find yourself being envious. Why? Why do they get to be happy? Why is that? And then you get ready to go to church and beat it all. Now you got a flat tire. You see, that's the way Asap felt. And if you want to not kid yourself, you felt that way before too. I have. Envious when I look, look over at my neighbors and they seem like they, they just love life and everything's going good for them and they don't, don't dart a door at church. They don't bring their children to church. But you know what happened to Asap? You know what he done? He entered into his closet. It said that, that he was envious of the prosperity of the wicked. But he said, then... Then, uh, it was until I entered into my sanctuary, in other words, prayer, then understood I their end. Then I understood that my neighbors over here and their children is going to die without God. You see, to begin with, before he entered into his sanctuary, before he prayed, he was jealous of them. But upon that prayer... He all at once had compassion. He thought, my, my neighbors, they're having a good time now, but they're going to be destroyed in hell. So that prayer changed his attitude in a moment from being jealous of the prosperity of the wicked to now he's got a compassion because they're going to be destroyed if something don't happen. Can you see, and you read that sometimes, 78th of Psalms. Can you not see how that, that prayer Changed his attitude toward people. I've had to have my attitude adjusted many times. Prayer works. We don't need to be envious of the wicked, but we will be from time to time. But what we need to do is to see their end. And upon that, have compassion. Have compassion. So, when you enter into church, church, if you enter into the north, you should leave the south. If you enter the south, you should leave the north. We should never go out the same way. If we come in one way and we walk, we leave the same way, I'm sorry, but we missed the mark. But when we truly come into the presence of God, and I'm not talking about some powerful overtaking, but you know what I'm talking about. When you truly come into the presence of the true living God, you can't lead the same. You cannot lead the same way. Not, it, not coming into his presence, you can't.
So let's not just go to church every Sunday. Let's worship. I'm, I'm talking about get down deep. Let's, let's worship. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm, I'm alarmed at the lack of conviction in our churches. I'm alarmed that these little children, boys and girls, are becoming lost and not being saved. But, but let's really, really get down to the point and not just come to church. Let's worship. I'm not telling you to jump up and down. I'm not, talk, I'm not talking about uh, emotionalism. Spirituality a lot of times leads into emotionalism, but I've seen a lot of emotionalism kill a service. I'm talking about true, true worship. Don't just wait till Sunday morning, but all week long, start looking forward to it. All week long, start preparing for it. To come in and lift Him up. And if it ain't nothing but holding your seat and praying and singing, when you sing, don't just sing off the book. He says, make a melody in your heart. A sweet smell before God. Sing to Him. Not sing so that I can hear you say, boy, she sounds pretty. Sing to Him. Everything that's done in the, in the church should be edifying to the Lord. Everything should be edifying. And I promise you, if we get to that point and we really get back to worship, we'll start walking out different than we come in. And you know what I believe happened? I believe God will start convicting the heart. Judgment must first begin at the house of God. If I want my children to go to the altar, they need to see Daddy go to the altar. They do. This altar is good for the church. We lead by example. You have children. Let your children see you pray at home. Let your children see you come to the altar. That way when they become lost, they're going to reflect back and know that's, that's what mom and daddy does. Lead by example. But coming in and going out. You got battles. I know you do. You got battles life. Take it to the Lord. Come into His presence first. And let Him give you counsel. Let Him instruct you and direct you through those things. He can do a lot better job than you and I can do. So I appreciate your teaching. I know it's been a bit scattered, but I hope and trust you somehow you got something out of it. Uh, pray for us back at home. Uh, uh, if Kenny would, I guess we'll get a song together. You, y'all have a handshake? Or, okay. If, if Kenny would, let's uh, gather, gather in this altar and, and shake hands one, one with the other. And uh, let's all of us try to do get a little bit closer to the Lord tomorrow than we are today. And if we'll continue in that, I believe we can see God's old church used to be a powerhouse. And I tell you what, we can see it, we can see it once again. And I don't know your hearts. If you're here and you're lost, I know one thing, now is the accepted time. If you're lost, now is when you can be saved. Not tonight, not tomorrow, but now is when you can be saved. While we stand and sing, if you're lost, seek the Lord. If you're saved, move around. Let's shake hands one with the other. 28. 28.